0: Hello and welcome to the First and Ten podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz, here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, we're recording this on the evening of Saturday, May 30th, 2020. Uh, this is going to be the first episode of First and Ten Classics, a series I'm going to explain a little bit further in depth in a couple minutes after I introduce my co-hosts. Uh, but it's one we've talked about in the past, and we're finally getting it started today. Speaking of introducing the co-hosts, let's get into it. Joining me in Nashville, Tennessee, is Reed Murray. Reed, what's on your mind? You know, obviously, it's hard to ignore the events that are going on right now when it comes to protesting and police brutality. And, you know, we're a show about college football. We're not about the, uh, you know, talking on this kind of thing. But I feel like something has to be said. So I'm just going to give a very brief statement. And I'm just going to talk about Trevor Lawrence for a second. Trevor Lawrence, uh, a guy, he's, you know, I've called him overrated. I've said I don't like him. Sometimes I've even gone as far as to say that I hate him. Uh, specifically after Clemson beat Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. But I have to, I got I to gotta give it to Trevor Lawrence. I have some massive respect for him after what he tweeted out recently. If you want to go look at that, just go to his Twitter. Uh, he gave a pretty good message about some of the events that are going on right now. So that's all I'm going to say on it. Um, respect to Trevor Lawrence and any athlete, especially ones with privilege who recognize it and want to make a change about it. They have my respect. Eloquently put, Reed, uh, I'm with you. I 100% stand with uh, all of them, and I think it's a time to speak up. I think silence is, is deafening, and uh, speaking up here on this program, I know it might not be uh, the place you'd expect it, but we've got this platform, so we might as well use it. Uh, Griffin, you're in New Jersey. What's going on? Uh, again, it's just hard to ignore what's been happening the past few days. And I stand with you guys as what we just said. Yeah, uh, it is hard to ignore. Uh, But uh, as hard as it is to kind of move on from that, let's move on and talk about something way more positive, especially for our friend Reed Murray. And that is the 2014-2015 National Champion Ohio State Buckeyes. We're going to be doing a classic episode today. But we go in-depth on that national championship season uh, for Ohio State and more specifically the 2015 Sugar Bowl, number four Ohio State, number one Alabama at the Superdome in New Orleans uh, back in January of 2015, just over five years ago at this point, if you can believe it. Uh, But uh, this series, First and Ten Classics, it's one we've been teasing for a while. We always said our first episode was going to be one we did with uh, our friend Tommy Devine, my cousin, but... uh. That was going to be the 2007 Illinois episode where we did either the 07 Rose Bowl or uh, the 07 Illinois-Ohio State game. Uh, But we're going to push that back a little bit. Uh, We're going to start with uh, this Ohio State one because uh, I think we just really want to talk about them. Because as as awesome as that Juice Williams-Illinois team was, I think this this Ohio State team won the title. So uh, they're kind of worth talking about a little bit more. No offense uh, to Illinois, but... Uh, I don't know what you guys have to say before we get started, but I kind of want to give a little breakdown of what was going on. If we can switch our minds all the way back to 2014, 2015, before Ohio State made it all the way to the Sugar Bowl and eventually the national title, here's how the season wins. Uh, you guys have anything to say before we get started? Um, I mean, I just want to quickly say, you know, I – it's my belief that the Ohio State 2015 team after this is the greatest Ohio State team ever put together. I wanted to talk to about it. that. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that after uh, we talk about the game. But All right. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. I was going to ask that question. Yeah. We'll get into uh, it. Uh, so anything. Later. Yeah.
1: But yeah, yeah we'll, I mean, we'll bring
0: that up later. This 2014 team, I mean, regardless if you think 2015 was better or whatever, the 2014 15 team won the championship. So exactly. Yeah. Um, they've kind of gone just down. Just crazy in, in the ups and downs that. that this 2014 team had to, you know, all the adversity they faced and how they overcame it. Uh, it's just ridiculous, the you know what they over overcame to win this national championship. And I'm excited to get into this episode. Absolutely. So let's start with some of that adversity. So uh, the year before, uh, they've got an undefeated team, an undefeated season rolling. Uh, then they make it all the way to the Big Ten championship in Indianapolis, and they're upset by Michigan State. Then they play in the Orange Bowl, and in typical Ohio State fashion, they lose a game to Clemson. Hey, now. Oh. Disappointment. At that point, I think Clemson and Ohio State had only played one time ever. Okay. Well, at this point, it's been like four, so. Yeah. yeah it has been, uh, we, we still haven't played Clemson yet, so. With, with historical context, eh, that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, so what was a great season for Ohio State ended in disappointment, but there was still a lot of hope going forward because – They had a Heisman candidate quarterback, a guy named Braxton Miller. Fast forward to the preseason in practice, Heisman candidate Braxton Miller injures his shoulder, and he is out for the season. So in comes a kid named J.T. Barrett. Uh, Legend has it, J.T. Barrett has been in college for a century, and he still has another year of eligibility left. Uh, That's just according to legend. Uh, But J.T. Barrett comes in. They beat Navy week one in Baltimore. Week two, they lose to an unranked Virginia Tech team. At home in Columbus, they fell all the way down to 22 in the rankings. And, uh, but after that, well, before we even, I feel like we're we can't just skip over that loss to Virginia Tech too easily because, true. I mean, for especially you know us Big Ten fans, being specifically an Ohio State fan, you know we we realize how rare it is for Ohio State to lose at home. It doesn't matter if it's to yeah the number one team in the nation or if it's to an unranked Virginia Tech losing at home overall is such a rare thing to see. You know, the most recent time that happened, I believe it was at home against Oklahoma in the Baker Mayfield planting the flag game. And before mm-hmm. that, Michigan State won on the road to Ohio State. Um, obviously, Virginia Tech did it. Other than that, it rarely, it rarely happens, especially in recent history. So, I mean, talk about that's just the first huge, you know, piece of adversity that Ohio State had to overcome, just being shocked at home by Virginia Tech because that – so rarely happens and that's that's hard to overcome as a coaching staff and for the leaders of the team from a leadership perspective you know to get momentum back in a season uh, that's a hard obstacle to overcome and at that point in the year I think pretty much everybody thought Ohio State's playoff hopes were dead if they couldn't hold on at home against an unranked team and um, without their star quarterback uh, things could get ugly yeah, I and mean, at that point I don't even think there were many playoff hopes at all in terms, you know most people, I think they had been counted out at that point by a lot of fans just from the, you know, mindset of, oh, well, JT Barrett, who's this Mm -hmm. kid? You know, he's the quarterback. They got an inexperienced quarterback. You know, Braxton Miller was the focal point of the team. Now he's gone. Ohio State does not have much of a shot. But they kept winning. They kept winning. They went to Penn State, won won 31-24 in double overtime. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that game? Because that one I think is – Kind of the iconic regular season moment for this team. That game was so stressful to watch. Um, really from the beginning to the end, especially, you know, the game ended with a – you could call it a walk-off sack from Joey Bosa. But up mm-hmm. until that point, it had been so stressful, especially when the clock hit zeros and there was still a tie game. you know, Penn State on the road, never an easy environment. So from the get-go, it was – you know, it was, the game was taken seriously, and yeah, that was just as extremely stressful game, and Ohio State just extremely relieved to get out of it alive. Yeah, it was, it was one of the classics, I think, in uh, the not-a-rivalry between Ohio State and Penn State, and uh, the other big regular season game, actually, I think there were three, but that's pretty typical for an Ohio State regular season. The the three big regular season games, Penn State, MSU, and Michigan. Uh, But MSU, they got revenge on the road after last year's Big Ten championship defeat, 49-37 in Spartan Stadium. Uh, I I believe Saturday Night Football and uh, College Game Day were in East Lansing for that one. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, that was a big win. And then, uh, as you can guess, they beat Michigan as well. Uh, But in that game... JT Barrett got hurt, uh, and he didn't return that whole season. Uh, and in came a guy named Cardale Jones. Yeah, and, you know, especially talking about some of the big games that Ohio State had, um, I think one that's often overlooked is the Minnesota game. That was a game Minnesota was ranked at the time. They were number 25. It was snowy on the road in Minnesota, and Ohio State came out alive. And JT Barrett had one of the more uh, – you know, it seems like it would be an iconic moment in his career, but it's kind of forgotten. I mean, he he had a – I think it was about 90-yard touchdown run against Minnesota that really put Ohio State on oh, yeah. top, which was just incredible. And one of – you know, a lot of times this, this Ohio State season, and a big reason that they were considered uh, to have unfairly made the playoff is the amount of times that they almost slipped up. I mean, even you go back to week one, the Navy game was closer than it should have been. They lost to Virginia Tech at home. The Indiana game. That's a game. uh, I mean, Jalen Marshall scored four touchdowns in the second half of that game. If Jalen Marshall didn't have such an incredible individual effort that game, Indiana beats Ohio State, and Ohio State's playing in, you know, the Peach Bowl or the Cotton Bowl or maybe even a lesser Outback Bowl type game. So, yeah. uh, And as an IU fan, IU fans always kind of talk about this game. I mean, Tevin Coleman – He had, like – I think he had, like, 230 yards and three touchdowns. And he did his best to keep IU in the game. And uh, they couldn't hold on. That was – it's just another one. And 2015, too, IU almost pulled it off over Ohio State. They always gave him hell, but just couldn't pull it off, unfortunately, for me and for Hoosier fans. But I remember that game perfectly. And that was not a good Indiana team at all. They went – I think at the time also – they hadn't won a conference game. I think was the other big surprise in that thing, and I'm pretty sure they ended up beating Purdue. But, uh, yeah, that was that was a rough year for IU, but they still almost beat Ohio State. Yeah, and I mean that game, that game had me on the edge of my seat. It's, you know, I don't even know what to say because Indiana. In in that stretch in the 2014 2015 all the way up into J.K. Dobbins' first season in 2017, Indiana always had Ohio State on the ropes. They never got it done, but they always made it stressful for the Buckeyes. Which uh, I was always confused on how I felt about Indiana, because on the one hand, you know, you can't be mad at Indiana because they have never really wronged anyone, but they always would stress me out. So that was always weird. I had this weird relationship with Indiana where I felt bad for them, but I also felt angry at them. And being on the other end of that, it's just frustrating. That's all it is. It's frustrating to never be able to get it done. And they always tease you, but they can never get the big win. And it it just kills. Uh, But anyway, let's move on to uh, the game right before the Sugar Bowl. It was 2014-15. It was, well, December 2014 in Indianapolis. Uh, The conference championship game, Ohio State taking on Wisconsin. I think Ohio State at the time was ranked fifth. Wisconsin, also a top 15 team. Melvin Gordon, the running back, uh, he was unstoppable all season until he ran into the Ohio State defense. And uh, Ohio State won the game by a, you know, pretty decent margin, 59 to nothing. N- no big deal. Yeah, and this is the game that really put Ohio State over the top when it comes to them getting into the playoff because you look at, like I said, what they had to overcome and they had not the best regular the season um with those close loss they almost losses those close games and an actual loss to an unranked team at home um but this game it's pretty hard to argue with a team who's playing with a third string quarterback who faces a top 15 opponent and just completely blows them out of the water so this was really the game and it is a game where Ohio State showed a lot of their strengths they showed what they can do this was this game when i look back on it and i look back at the 2018 game versus michigan i see them as very similar games because both games Um, in my eyes, everything that could have gone right did go right for Ohio State. And it was just, I mean, obviously a monumental victory. Um, And Ohio State really just clicked on all cylinders. And the Mm -hmm. fact that they shut them out, too, was huge. The defense didn't give Wisconsin an inch. So, you know, it was, although, you know, you can make your points about TCU should have gotten in or Ohio State should have gotten in. Ohio State did earn it. And TCU, I'm not going to say they didn't earn it either. But I think both teams had a very yeah. strong case. But this was the game where Ohio State really proved that they had – that they deserved that number four spot. And that's what I wanted to talk about too. I, I wanted to mention uh, the TCU Horned Frogs uh, because obviously Ohio State, they went uh, – well, they went 12-1 uh, and 1 in the regular season plus uh, the conference championship. Uh, they, they had a really, really good team that year. Uh, but TCU also only lost one game in the regular season, uh, and that was at number five, Baylor, and it, Ohio State was, was a, uh, a loss uh, at home to an unranked team. So I guess you kind of weigh those, but again, TCU didn't get a conference championship game in the Big 12 back then, and uh, Ohio State did, and they won it by 59 points. Uh, but TCU, uh, that game against Baylor, uh, they only lost by three points in a classic big 12 shootout 61 58 you'd think that's a basketball score but uh you know a three-point loss on the road to uh, another top five top 10 team that's kind of like i don't know if you would put ohio state in or tcu and uh, if you redid that but i think they ended up making the right choice uh with it ohio state obviously won the championship so uh, that big 10 championship and the drubbing of Wisconsin 59 to nothing uh if that game was you know 21 to 14 Ohio State is not getting in the playoff and they are not winning the championship. Oh absolutely. There's 59 no to, to nothing. That is a statement. And you know that is a playoff team. That is a championship team. And people complain about oh Urban Meyer is running up the score in Wisconsin, you know it's not, like think about this. Ohio State wins this game, let's say 35 nothing. Do you have them in the playoff? Cuz I don't know if I would. I don't. I mean, like, it's as close. an Ohio State fan, I would, at that point, especially I was at a young age when that game happened, uh, I would probably be like, oh yeah, Ohio State's the best team ever, put them in, but, you know, from an unbiased uh, hindsight perspective, if Ohio State wins that game by, you know, five possessions, I don't know if they're in, because, you know, Wisconsin, they were a top mm-hmm. 15 team, they were, you know, lots of stars in that roster, Melvin Gordon uh, in particular, but... They were battling injuries. Their offensive line was lacking. Their defense was hurting. So, Ohio State had to abs- absolutely just put the smack down on the Badgers. And they did. Uh, they did. So, that the other thing I was going to say is that was the first year of the playoffs. So, we were still learning. We didn't know if uh, the conference championship and whatever would hold them back uh, at all. Yeah. it was. It was still a learning process. And I think with five years of hindsight at this point, I can say – I don't think this is a hot take, but I know Florida State was undefeated, but – and I totally would have them in. They were the reigning national champions. They didn't lose a game in the regular season. But just – of the top five teams between them, Alabama, Oregon, OSU, and TCU, Florida State was pretty clearly the, the bottom of the barrel behind uh, the Buckeyes and Horn Frogs. You know, I'm curious, Patrick and Griffin um, – if you had to rank those four, or those five teams, um, okay. one through five, how would you do it? I'm going to say mine first. I got Ohio State number Me one, too. Bama number two, yeah. TCU number three, Oregon number four, and Florida State number five. I would do the exact same. Yeah. I think that TCU team was just explosive. Uh, Oregon, obviously, was really good, too. But the TCU had had firepower in spades. Maybe I, I think it's close between them and Oregon just because Oregon had Mariota, who was the Heisman winner, but I don't know. Uh, I think Florida State is pretty clearly fifth, though, despite still being a really good team. That was just a great year for college football, and we're lucky that there was a playoff, because if there was no college football playoff, probably wouldn't have gotten – well, no, we obviously would not have gotten that national championship for Ohio State, and – I don't think that Oregon versus Alabama game would have been the true championship. And I think having a college football playoff nowadays makes you wonder how many other times in history would there have been a different champion if we had the playoff? That's a, that's a, that's an interesting point you bring up. And I want to say, you go oh, back in yeah. 2012, um, if there was a playoff, then obviously Notre Dame, I think would have lost the semifinal. Um, but also I'm. I'm gonna sound, like, you know what? I don't care what I sound like. Ohio State, if they would oh, have they had a bull band. Yeah. One of the, no, they, they were the best team season. in the they country. Were they hands win. down better than Notre Dame, I think, and I think they were better than Notre Dame. And you can discuss whether or not they were better than Alabama that year, and whether they the game beat with Notre Dame and Alabama, Notre Dame and Alabama, um, Dame and Alabama in was Miami in game. the championship, Ohio State and Alabama would have been a game. But a year like oh, that, no if Ohio State had been bowl eligible. Uh no playoff would have been pretty terrible because I don't know which one of those three teams they leave out. Which is similar to the situation we had this year, which is why exactly. we're so thankful we had the playoff. You know, you yeah. had LSU undefeated SEC champion, Ohio State undefeated Big Ten champion, I think and Clemson, Clemson undefeated Clemson ACC would have been champion. left out this year. You still have Clemson the BCS have system. You can't yeah. leave any of them out. But, yeah. Oh, for sure, but – that's still, That's mm. There would still be people fed up about it. No matter who you leave and out, It's going to be people fed up. The playoffs, up. as good as I think the playoff is, it's contenders. not perfect because there are still going to be undefeated teams, particularly from G5 schools like UCF, who get left out and they get mad about it. And rightfully so. I, I think they have a case to be made, although maybe you don't think they deserve the playoff spot. there's at least a case for it. And I think going undefeated and winning all of your games, I mean, what more can you ask for? So the playoff helps fix that, but it's it's far from perfect.
1: Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's hard yeah. to create a perfect system. Honestly. There's so much room for you error. Know, like you say, it's hard to please everyone. So much,
0: yeah. Uh, I guess randomness is college football. You never really know what's going to happen. Uh, and one mistake, one loss, can end your season. Sometimes, effectively. So. Yeah. Yeah. And and you said this earlier about how this is one of the best years of college football. I mean, I think this, this was the best season of the playoff era just because there was a lot going on. You had Alabama, who was a more balanced, powerful on both sides of the ball team, which Ohio State was as well. TCU was just I mean, yeah, the a to big ball team. <laughs> score a lot of points. Yeah, score a lot of points, give up a lot of points. But, you know, have they had a ton of explosive players, uh, and they got it done a lot of the time. Florida State, who was just an interesting team, they had Jameis Winston, who's Heisman, a big character, champ. big name. Yeah, and the, you know the Heisman Oregon, winner of course, Mariota. Yeah, with Heisman yeah. winner, Marcus Mariota, and I mean even Wisconsin. We talked about them earlier. They had a Heisman contender, Melvin Gordon. He just went off that season. He had an incredible season in um, Wisconsin. It's not like Wisconsin. You know, I kind of badmouthed them earlier. Wisconsin won the bowl game against Auburn. I think it was. I believe it was the Outback Bowl it they was, played in. Or maybe it, it was, was one of the Florida game. Bowl. But they did beat Auburn. It was a close game, but they got yeah, on the SEC quality, the year opponent. before. So, had... Auburn the year before had Wisconsin's been in the national good team title game. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you can't in, forget in that. Wisconsin, yeah, they lost 59 to nothing, but they won their bowl game. So, yeah, so that, that season, I think, is one uh, that everybody kind of has memories of uh, in one way or another, positive, negative. Uh, ones you want to forget ones you want to remember for the rest of your life but uh, it was certainly an interesting season and being the first one of the playoff era uh, really makes it a special one for a lot of people especially for Buckeye fans given uh, they won the championship and uh, that's what we're here to talk about that college football playoff semifinal go ahead go ahead and think about just take take a second to think about how lucky we are that not only were we alive for the first playoff season you know we were we were all fans and we got to experience that for the first yeah. time. That was history in the making. Um, and people are going to look back at I'm sure there's going to be 30 for 30 documentaries, you know, that type of thing made years from now. And it's just crazy that we were all there for the first time that that had ever happened because none of us were live for the first ever BCS national championship. Um, there's a lot of, you know, landmarks, I guess you could call it, or whatever you would call it the time equivalent of a landmark. I'm kind of blanking milestone? on that word right now, but, but that we missed. There we go. Yeah. miles. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm so dumb for not thinking that, but you know, we were around for this one. And that's really uh, just an absolute privilege. That's without, true. History. Uh, that experience. True history right there. The first ever college football playoff. And uh, the first college football playoff game though, uh, was the Rose bowl between Oregon and Florida state side note. I kind of wish Ohio state Alabama had been the Rose bowl instead of the sugar bowl, because, I don't know. Big Ten team not being in the Rose Bowl feels wrong, uh, but I also think Pasadena would have been a cool location for this game, but Oregon beat Florida State uh, in the... Go ahead. Honestly, though, I see what you're saying about the Big Ten team in the in the Rose Bowl, but I think just the fact that, one, you know, the Sugar Bowl, it's an SEC bowl game. <laughs> so the fact that Ohio State was able to come into Alabama slash SEC territory yeah. and get it done it was kind of incredible, but just the fact that you know the sugar is playing a dome, it was kind of like I don't even know how to describe this well, but the just the entire atmosphere uh, was just you know it's it's like everything was just contained there. It was a whole lot of energy going around. You that's know, it was true. I know too. what you mean. It was yeah, yeah and it, I think it was just hard to the, replicate. there was some energy in that building that was you know pretty exclusive to it and only it. Uh, I think the Superdome is just like that. So you know that's fair, but. I mean, the Rose Bowl's the Rose Bowl at the same time. So, anyway. That's true, Oregon yeah. wins the Rose Bowl. In blowout fashion over the fashion, but, too. Uh, then, <clears throat> one of, like, three playoff – or four playoff blowouts that I can think of. Yeah. Kind of I mean, what else? Bizarre. The other ones are, like, what? Michigan State losing. and Michigan State, Ohio State, Clemson. Did um, Washington Oklahoma, get blown out? LSU. I don't remember uh, that game I mean, very well. They they kept it close for a while. I mean, it ended up – Alabama won by yeah. about three or so possessions. But Washington they you know, they played a good game. Okay. I'll look at yeah, it. doesn't what matter. What score it was, um, but um, But, yeah, Ohio State, Alabama, Sugar Bowl. Let's get into it. So, Alabama was the number one team in the country. They were undefeated. Uh, they had a pretty stacked roster looking at it today. You know, plenty of future NFL superstars from – the offensive side of the ball, like Derrick Henry and Amari Cooper, to the defensive side of the ball, like Landon Collins. So a very balanced, balanced uh, Alabama team. And Ohio State, I think, was kind of the same way, uh, whether it be Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas, Devin Smith on offense, or uh, Joey Bosa and Co. on defense. Pick your poison. Uh, These two teams were absolute titans in retrospect. And uh, I think we need to kind of just appreciate all the talent that we saw in that field uh, during the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about that defense. Um, I want to take a quick second to talk about two guys who uh, they were really exciting for me to watch uh, at Ohio State, but I've never really heard non-Ohio State fans talking about them, which makes sense because they never really made too big of names themselves in the NFL. But Von Bell and Darren Lee, uh, just two monsters on that defense. who so I think I think that both of them were on the 2015 team as well. Um, but they both had pretty good games, and they were, you know – you you don't want to pass the ball Von Bell's way. Um, and Darren Lee, a hard-hitting linebacker, you know, he he was... He was a hard guy to go up against. And this defense, you know, it, it wasn't just Bosa. It was filled with um, players who are just college legends who kind of gotten forgotten um, in the NFL because they never really had amazing careers at the next level. But, you know... These, these are some guys who I think need to be remembered when it comes to, um, you know. Yeah, and I think that's Ohio fair. A lot, of, a lot of college players kind of go unrecognized in the NFL. If they don't have success, uh, they might get forgotten by uh, the casual college fan who only uh, really remembers guys for a prolonged period of time uh, once they uh, make it at the next level. So, yeah, good shout out to those guys. But these two teams uh, were just both absolute titans uh, to look back at. So I think that's, uh, one interesting thing. And the other interesting thing for me is, uh, the battle of the running backs Two two legends in my mind, Derek Henry and Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about the game in a minute, but I want to just go over these stat lines, Derek Henry, 95 yards on 13 carries Ezekiel Elliott, 230 yards, uh, on 20 carries, uh, that's pretty incredible. Uh, just seeing those two guys go at it, and I'm going to criticize Alabama's game plan for not giving it to Derrick Henry more, and, and I'm going to talk about Derrick Henry at length, but uh, seeing these two guys get to play against each other on one of the biggest stages in college football, that's a treat. Yeah, and Derrick Henry... I had hardly even heard of that name at that point when, to be fair, I wasn't the most aware college football fan. <laughs> I was, I think, 10 years old at the time. Um, but, I mean, Derrick Henry, it was frustrating to me to see him get the ball and just kind of bully our defense because I was just not very familiar with him. And it was, it was kind of incredible to watch. And little did I know that I would end up being a huge fan of his when he comes to play for the Tennessee Titans. Um, but, yeah, Henry, he did have a very good game. And he did. There was one touchdown run he had where he just kind of bulldozed Classic the entire Ohio State defense. Classic Derek Henry uh, in the first quarter. Yeah. yeah so those two guys, uh, incredible running backs. But uh, Alabama, they're the title favorite. They're the number one overall seed. They went undefeated in the SEC. And Ohio State, kind of the underdog. Uh, they had their loss. They're playing a third string QB but they're ready to fight for a spot in the national title game. So, And honestly, I think, you know, you you said Ohio State was kind of an underdog, which looking back on it, it kind of seems that way. But I remember before this game, you know, we look at this Ohio State team nowadays, like, oh, they had a third string quarterback and they still knocked everyone in their path down. I mean, going into this playoff, it was the thought of most neutral or fans of Bama or pretty much anyone other than Ohio state that a team with a third string quarterback going to playoff, they're not going to be able to get it done. There's no way a third string quarterback with, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, by the way, was not a very well, he wasn't the household name that he ended up becoming in the 2015 season. And in his later seasons with the Dallas Cowboys, he wasn't the most well-known running back ever. So a lot of people didn't really respect this Ohio state team. They didn't put the respect that Ohio state deserved, uh, you know when when they, they didn't they didn't give them that respect when they were talking about them, and even Mark professional college ball analysts. <laughs> Mark May, Ohio <laughs> yeah, State's number one. Mark nemesis. May, the biggest Ohio State hater in history. You know Mark May has done more damage but, to Ohio you know, State geez. than Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> oh, for sure. And no, I mean, okay, fair, yeah, Jim Harbaugh that's did true, Ohio, Ohio State is playing in the, career, decade, but in the last decade. I that is that is a good joke to make. Oh, for sure, yeah. No doubt. Um, but, you know, they thought a team that's a third-string quarterback, there's no way they can be able to get it done in this playoff game. They don't have the weapons and offense. Their defense, there's no way they're going to be able to stop. Amari Cooper, he's a Heisman candidate. And, you know, people forget um, that that they went against Heisman candidate and Melvin Gordon, Heisman candidate and Amari Cooper, and then the National Championship Heisman candidate uh, uh, an and eventual Heisman the, winner, Marcus Well, Mario. in the semifinal, they went against next year's Heisman winner, Derrick Henry. That's absolutely true. Yeah, Yeah, so just so much talent uh, in this whole playoff. And uh, Jameis Winston, a a Heisman winner too. So uh, really just unbelievable talent, uh, all four teams in this playoff. And that kind of adds to our point earlier of this being just an incredible year of college football. So you guys ready to get into the game itself? Yep. Okay, so the game starts. uh, Ohio State goes on a big drive. Uh, but it stalls out. They get three points. Alabama punts. Uh, Ohio State. Uh, Elliot fumbles next drive. Uh, Alabama, I believe, gets a touchdown from Henry. Yeah, okay. Thank Henry's you. To uh, and then another huge Ohio State drive and a field goal. So, Ohio State had kind of been stalling out on offense. And uh, they looked pretty stagnant other than you know, I think one big uh, pass and a massive 54-yard Ezekiel Elliott run. Uh, and even Elliott, he fumbled the ball, so he wasn't perfect. But Jones looked kind of shaky. And I think before, when in the part of the game from 0-0 to 21-6 Alabama, Cardale Jones was pretty shaky. Yeah. Yeah. And – you know he was pretty shaky confidence. you could tell he didn't have that game experience and at yeah it, it was it was at this point that they showed a shot of JT Barrett on the sideline he he was in his uh yeah, like yeah. scooter kind of thing that he that he cuz he had the knee injury and he was he was you know given cardell talk you know i'm assuming some sort of pep talk kind of thing getting him more comfortable in this kind of game which really shows you know i'm not the biggest JT Barrett fan and that really just came in the later years of his career where he just didn't really live up to the expectations that I had for him. But I still have a lot of respect for J.T. Barrett for, first of all, the incredible freshman season that he did have. You know, he wasn't supposed to be the, the main guy that year, and he st- he stepped up and he did it. And then, you know, the leadership he showed in this game, being able to help Cardo Jones out and eventually be a part of Ohio State's semifinal winning team, you know, that's 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 not easy to do. Yeah, a lot of respect to J.T. Barrett for that, too. But uh, more on the point, Cardale Jones, uh, the start of this first half, he he looked rushed. He looked like he was not making the right throws. He was overthrowing guys. Uh, He ended up throwing a pick at some point. Uh, But the one thing Cardale Jones, I think, did really well, and this kind of goes for the whole game, uh, is running the ball. And especially on third down, he made a lot of really clutch runs and scrambles. Uh, He didn't do it – maybe super often, uh, like there were not a lot of – actually, you know what? Now that I look at the stat sheet, he had 17 rushes uh, in this game, almost as many as uh, Ezekiel Elliott. And he obviously wasn't getting the yards Ezekiel Elliott was. He only ran for 43 yards. But I think more often than not, these were pretty short bursts than – for third on third down, uh, to to move the chains, and that came up huge for Ohio State because even in that halftime interview with uh, Coach Saban, uh, one of uh, the ESPN reporters she asked uh, Coach Saban if he uh, was concerned about Cardale running it, and then he just said, "I don't care about him running it. We just got to stop him on third down anyway." So you, you could tell that that was making a pretty big difference on the game. So that's one thing Cardale did well, and. You know, by the second half, he was really getting in the swing of things, uh, passing the ball, too. But uh, early on, he he did kind of have his struggles. But I think his legs uh, saved him. And keep in mind, Cardell Jones, you look at the way he's, he's what? He, how big is he? The way I've always thought of Cardell Jones is... He's, he's 200 and... Uh, I'm not sure exactly, but Cardell Jones... 250 pounds, maybe, I think they said. That, that sounds about right. And, I mean, Cardell Jones... The way I look at him, he's <laughs> a linebacker who can pass the ball just from the way he's built, his size, his strength. I mean, he was, he was going up against some of the hardest hitting players in college football in this Alabama team. and He was just running him over. So he has the build of a running back linebacker kind of guy, but you know, he has just a can for an arm. So Ohio state definitely knew how to utilize him. They had deep balls to Devin Smith in this game and in the game against Wisconsin and he ran the ball well. He ran the ball with efficiency. And I think this game, you know, in this in this 2014 season and for the entirety of JT Barrett's career, uh, myself included, tons of Ohio State fans just complained about the predictable call where it's, you know, it's third and five, JT Barrett runs the ball, gets stopped. It's uh, the quarterback draw play that Ohio State fans were so sick of. Um, and this game – there weren't really very many or any designed runs for Cardinal Jones and the yards he got, which he did get um, good amounts of yards came from improvising. uh, Yeah. Scrambles. He, you know, he, he, he found a spot to run. He took the ball, he had confidence. And that's kind of the style that Justin Fields plays with, except he, he has better vision. He can pass the ball better and he runs the ball better. But that, I think that sort of laid the groundwork and Ohio state coaches eventually look back at that and were like, yeah, this is how we need to run the ball. It's not always about design runs. You know, you can have you can throw in a read option here and there. Um, but it's it's mainly Ohio State quarterbacks run better when it comes to scrambling. And Cardell Jones, he you know, he's not a running quarterback, he's not a dual threat guy, but he ran with efficiency. So that was huge for Ohio State's success in that game, especially on third downs, like you're talking about with Coach Saban about Alden yeah. having All trouble. Right. By the way, that. I just looked it up, Cardell Jones is two hundred and forty nine pounds, so it was off by one, but uh, he is massive still, and the fact that he was running the ball as effectively as he was is, is pretty impressive, uh, and I think you have to give a lot of that credit, too, to uh, number one Ohio State's coaches for letting him do that and letting him improvise, but number two to the offensive line for opening the holes and giving him the room to scramble, So uh, and, and to Cardell too, for for getting and, it done. You know, Patrick, Go ahead, Reed. Yeah, you know, you're talking about the, the first thing with the Ohio State coaches, um, letting him get it done. Picture this. Cardell Jones goes down with an injury. The next quarterback up is Jalen Marshall. The guy I talked about earlier, he's the punt returner and a wide receiver. He would be the next quarterback. He got a little bit of quarterback action against Illinois previously in that season. I believe it was the week before the Michigan game. Maybe it was two weeks, but it was late in the season, and Jalen Marshall got some action, the quarterback. Jalen Marshall would have been the next guy up but Ohio state would have had to go to a completely one dimensional run offense, just very few passes. Like they would pass the ball a little bit, I think, but it would be very little passing. And I think Alabama would have stopped Ohio state pretty well. So it was risky to have Cardinal Jones running those plays. So the fact that, uh, he was able to just have that confidence, not be able to worry about that and just go with it. And the fact that the offense blocked well for him, it's pretty huge. And one last thing, um, about Cardinal Jones and sort of running the ball, um, with a minute and 24 seconds left in the first quarter, Cardell Jones, he got sacked uh, deep in, in – Oh, he yeah, was totally a no, safety. absolutely a safety. By and the, the way, okay. totally he totally got safety in the refs. Yeah, but I totally would have swung the, yeah. that I'm shocked that, that they didn't call that a safety. I don't understand how. They marked him it's out for one, and I don't get it because the ball and his body were both in the end zone when he went down. But that's what I have 12 graphs. I, I, draft, so like I like guess you can chalk it up to that. But yeah, that he was, was marked into the two yard line crap. by the way. <laughs> I mean, his I'm looking at the play right now. He goes down, he has a foot on the goal line. The ball is deep in the end zone. He falls on his butt, which is clearly several yards into the end zone. His shoulders, his elbows, his knees, everything is down in the end zone. I'm just I'm just kind of astonished by the fact that they marked him down at the two yard line and they didn't even Seem to review it, but uh, you know it happens. It is what it is, I guess. And Ohio mm-hmm. State ended up punting that ball away anyway. Um, but that I think that would have been a, a bigger turning point in the game had it yeah. had it been called a safety. But um, you know what happens? Bad couple. calls are made, and another bad call. You know, you uh, Devin on. Smith, first possession of the game for Ohio State, goes up. Uh, the announcer compared it to Odell Beckham with one hand. You know, makes an absolute gem of a catch. Uh, they call it incomplete. I think it was a catch. Was it Evan Spencer? By the way, you're I, thinking of I, Evan, I Spencer. Evan Spencer. It was, Spencer. It was Evan Spencer. Play. I'll trust you. Uh, Evan Spencer, rather, makes the catch. I, it doesn't matter who made it. It was an incredible play, and they call it incomplete, and that's disappointing. But, okay, back on that safety, before it slips away, and I don't get a chance to talk about it, uh, the recent Al- Alabama had... OSU back so far with the chance to even make that safety in quotes, not a safety, I guess happen, is because of their punter guy by the name of JK Scott. This guy kept Alabama in the game. If it weren't for him, I don't think Alabama would have had uh, Ohio state at a one score game late because uh, there would have been so many other times where Ohio state would have been, you know, closer by 10 or 15 yards and been able to drive down the field easier. Oh, yeah, you know, J.K. Scott, he completely balled out. And punting and kickoffs, you know, just special teams as a whole were huge this game, especially for Ohio State. I want to give a shout-out to Corey Smith. He was a receiver. He's number 84. Um, I was never the biggest fan of this guy just because he can't catch the ball at the level, you know, that you need to as an Ohio State receiver. But he was incredible in special teams. And Ohio State consistently on the kickoffs. You know, Alabama won the punting battle. You know, no matter where they had it, they at one point they had the ball within their own ten, and J.K. Scott punted all the way to the ten yard line on the other side of the field, which was just incredible. But the Ohio State kicking team—I don't think Alabama crossed the twenty-five yard line a single time on kickoffs, and I think they may have crossed the twenty-yard. Yeah, line. their they, kick covered maybe great. once, and a lot of times it was number eighty-four Corey Smith who was able to get uh, to the returner very quickly, and it was. And Alabama, they their kickoffs were pretty good too. There's a lot of good special teams, very little field given up. Uh, from either team, you know, the, both teams kind of won the territory battle. Okay, Reed. Before, uh, so we so we can get the opportunity to mention this guy for a billionth consecutive episode. You know, another Ohio State receiver who actually has great hands. Who was a good special teamer, Chris Olave. Chris Olave. <laughs> He's great. That special guy, teams guy can ball out on special teams. Punts, blocks, real do-it-all player. Onside kicks against Maryland for some reason. He's just a he's just a Swiss Army knife. He gets it done on offense and on special teams. Maybe we'll, we'll see him on counting. defense this season. Who knows? Maybe yeah, he'll be the Julian cheerio, Edelman of the five State. I don't know if any of you are counting at home, but for pretty much every single episode in the history of this podcast, we have had Reed mention uh, his favorite player, Chris Olave. Well actually if you think about it, it really didn't start until about February or March of this year. Like I mentioned him pretty frequently because he was regular game it, previews yeah, and recaps just because he was Yeah, but I mean and I didn't do it last episode in our draft. I I kinda no, think I could find a way to rope him into it, but you didn't uh, up until then I was going like just, six episodes. What if I just throw in a, throwing a clip mentioning at the, end of the episode where I'm like, Hey guys, it's me Reed. Uh, sorry I forgot to mention Chris Alada. Here's me mentioning Chris Alada. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, send me that audio file. We might have to do that. Uh, I, can, we might. I can edit it And uh, If you're hearing this, I guess about half a week late, we'll, we'll be editing that episode back together. So keep an eye out for it. Uh, let's turn back the clock to 2015, though, and get back into this game. Uh, so we talked about one quarterback. Uh, but I want to talk about the other quarterback. Uh, and that other quarterback is a guy by the name of Evan Spencer. I'm just kidding. Uh, we can talk about the Evan Spencer touchdown pass in a little bit, but let's talk about Blake Sims uh, for Alabama. I think Blake Sims cost Alabama the game because he was just so bad this game. I'm, I'm looking at the ESPN stats right now. 22 of 36, 237 yards, two TDs, three picks, and a 47.8 QBR. He And he also ran the ball 10 times uh, for 29 yards just just a horrible game and if you watch the tape so many bad passes and all three of those interceptions or well two of them the last interception was actually a pretty fitting cap to the game because it was Blake Sims screwing them over but uh it was in the end zone it was a Hail Mary heave so I don't think that one is really his fault but uh the other two were just terrible reads that got picked off one of which was you know in the red zone which You know, seven more points and Alabama ties that football game and you're going to overtime and who knows what happens. Uh, So Blake Sims, he really just cost Alabama in this game. Just not good at all. And you're completely right when it comes to him having a bad game, but I think part of it, I remember we were talking about this last night in our group chat, you know, you were saying Blake Sims, oh, he sucks. He just had an awful game. He was a bad quarterback. How was the Alabama starter? But you look at his stats. He played 14 games. He had a completion percentage of 64.5. He threw for 3,487 yards in the season. He averaged 8.9 yards per attempt. uh, Had 28 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Three of his interceptions came against Ohio State. So Blake Sims was not a bad quarterback overall. It was really, you know, Alba went through their entire season. Uh, you know, knocking down every team who came at their way. They were undefeated going in this game with Blake Sims as the quarterback the entire time. Even Amari Cooper, he was a Heisman candidate who was being passed to by Blake Sims. So Blake Sims had to be doing something right in the regular season. I think that's really and, just a testament to the Ohio State defense and how they're able to get well, it and done. To the they, coaching kind of, staff, they really exposed him and they exposed yeah, his flaws. They had in, a, a really good, good coaching depth too. Yeah, so they knew how, how to attack him. Uh, but Yeah, Sims did not look good this game. I don't think you can argue any other way. And I think, yeah, Ohio State's defense and coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, But with Sims uh, playing pretty poorly, uh, this kind of comes around for a point I want to make about Derrick Henry. Uh, Derrick Henry, his whole NFL career, uh, has been surrounded with either below average or average quarterback play. Reed, I know you're a Tannehill fan and a Titans fan, but it's pretty fair for me to call him an average QB, right? I would say he's not going to win the games. He's not going to win the yeah, no, games. He's average. He, and I think not that been. is the perfect kind of quarterback to put next to Derrick Henry. If you give Derrick Henry any decent, if you give Derrick Henry like a three out of five, a quarterback or a two and a half out of five, a pretty middle of the road quarterback, he can make things happen and he can get it done all by himself. You just need, Something there. You just need a pulse at quarterback. Marcus Mariota in the NFL was not that, and the Titans did not win as many games as they did once Tannehill came in and took over and had an actual pulse of the position. Uh, and I think that's also the difference between regular season Blake Sims and versus Ohio State Blake Sims, because Derrick Henry is going to get his no matter what. So just put somebody at quarterback who can get it done at least a little bit, and you're going to have success. Alabama didn't, and they didn't have success. And you're right about the quarterback of Pulse thing. You know, Derrick Henry's Heisman season, the season Alabama won the national championship in their first uh, matchup that in the iconic Bama versus Clemson series. Jacob Coker, correct. Jake Coker was the answer. quarterback. Yeah, not like, you haven't <laughs> heard that guy's name in the last five years? It's like, hey, you guys, you, have, you guys remember Jacob Coker? I'm he's not. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of it's like an achievement to remember who he is. So, achievement unlocked, you know, Jacob. Coker. He doesn't need that Heisman caliber quarterback, right? He, he doesn't need that Heisman caliber quarterback to get things done. So yeah, that, you know. But I, I'll give it to Dick Coker. He he did a pretty good job. He was nothing too special, but he he did well with what he had at Alabama, and he was a perfect quarterback. And by to the way, a little more than Derrick Henry. Henry. I think Alabama's coaching, uh, and I believe their offensive coordinator at the time, Craig, if I'm wrong, was Lane Kiffin, right? I'm like 99% sure it's Lane Kiffin. I think it was Lane that. Kiffin, but I believe so. Sabin and Sabin, and I think it was Kiffin, uh, I think they failed on uh, offense when it came to running the ball because when you look at the stats, Derrick Henry had 13 carries for 95 yards and a touchdown. He averaged, I think that equates to about 7.3 yards per carry, which is obviously really good. Uh, and he had a touchdown too, uh, to go with that. TJ Yeldon had 10 yards, for, 10 carries for 47 yards. Blake Sims had 10 carries for 29 yards. So when those two guys who are running the ball much worse, like not even close to being as good as as he was, uh, they're getting nearly as many carries. That is an issue. And the fact that they also threw the ball 36 times, Mostly because they were playing from behind that whole second half, I guess. So you can't really run the ball when you're playing from behind. But the fact that Derrick Henry didn't get the ball more when he was averaging over seven yards per carry is baffling to me. It's baffling. Yeah. And, you know, let's take a second and talk about going into the half. Um, And I'm watching the game right now as we speak. And. You know, we mentioned Evan Spencer earlier. That that play with that Evan Spencer. That was the momentum changer for me. The touchdown pass I think that was, by the Thomas, way, I think Michael that was Thomas's the point in the game where the momentum truly changed. And it went from Ohio State's got to kind of claw back into it and Alabama is the dominant team here to, oh, Ohio State's got this. And Alabama's kind of got uh, something to be worried about right here. Let me tell you the turning point of this football game. There's 39 seconds left on the clock in the first half. The ball is at the 40-yard line, first and 10 for Ohio State. The score is 21-13, Bama uh, in the lead. Cardo Jones drops back to the 50-yard line. He steps up, and he gets a carry of about 25 yards. And then actually after contact, he picks up two or three more. So it's about 27, 28 yards. I would call that the turning point of this game because Cardinal Jones, he steps up. He makes a huge play. The the play immediately following that, Cardinal Jones snaps the ball. Um, or no, it's it two plays after that uh, where where the, uh, the Michael Thomas touchdown catch happened. By the way, first of many Michael Thomas iconic touchdowns <laughs> in New Orleans. What uh, do you know? It's kind of cool that he ended up yeah. playing uh, in that building in his NFL career. But yeah, Evan Spencer, he, he throws the ball. Just perfect spot. Uh, hits Michael Thomas. He makes a just you know he gets one foot down. green grass. Him. And I remember the announcers calling this. They said, "Yeah, th- they said that this this play didn't surprise the Alabama perfect defense. Perfect execution, it was just an amazing throw by and Evan That Spencer. I think is and that's the name of the game. And you know I've talking seen. about that the way that talking about the way that team executed. The um, and let's. I remember I screenshotted this last night at 12, 11 a.m. And the only reason I remember <laughs> that is because I'm looking at the screenshot right now, and that's what it says. But last night, I was up a little bit past midnight. I was watching this game, uh, just really, really amped up to have this game uh, on the schedule for the first and ten. But Ohio State, at the end of the half, they had 348 total yards. Alabama had 140. But it was a 21-20 to game in Alabama's favor. So Ohio State was getting it done, but they couldn't finish their drives. Like we said, early this in the sold game, they had two really six, good yeah. drives. That ended in field goals, six points off of. So Ohio State, you know, Ohio State was outplaying Alabama. They outplayed them the entire game. No, and there's not really any denying that. They came in this game more ready. They wanted it more than Alabama, and you know they were the better team overall. But you can tell they wanted it more. They executed better. This was Ohio State's game, and this was the point where they were like, "All right, no more this." You know choking our opportunities, letting them slip out of our hands. We're going to execute. We're going to finish our drive. We're going to finish what we started. And that's how Ohio State won the game. And, you know, it's it's often seen as that Evan Spencer touchdown pass is the turning point of the game. But I think it was the Cardell Jones uh, 27-yard run that was huge. And don't get me wrong, that Evan Spencer yeah. touchdown pass was incredible. And you know, speaking of Evan Spencer, I want to talk about him for a second because we were all kind of in agreement on this. I think Evan Spencer had the game of his life in this game. Because like we said, he had that crazy catch that was yeah, ruled uh, also, an incompletion. which is what we're forgetting, you know, you can have your opinion uh, on that. But he threw the uh, onside recovery. Oh, yeah, I was going to get to that. You know, it's he, he threw one of the most iconic touchdown passes um, in Ohio State history, especially in the playoff era to, to Michael Thomas. People forget that he had a huge block for Ezekiel Elliott in a play we're going to talk about later where he ran for, I think it was a 75 or so yard touchdown. And he did have the onside kick recovery to secure the game. That's, you know, that's a big moment. But if you look at this play specifically, that was a ridiculously hard catch to make. And it was really looking like Alabama was going to get that off uh, onside kick. He timed it perfectly. He snatched it out of the air. Looked like an extremely difficult catch to make. Hold it down. Uh, secure the ball for Ohio State. And that was really what secured the win. So Evan Spencer... Shout out to him. He never really had a huge NFL career. He was a consistent player for Ohio State. I would maybe call Material Man. I think, I think, I think it's safe to call Evan Spencer a Cheerio Man. Um, but he he really had the game of his life. He just completely balled out on all sides of the ball. Yeah. I guess except for defense. But he got it done everywhere, and he was one of the main reasons Ohio State eventually got the yeah, victory. Yeah, a great Evan Spencer game, and uh, I would I would argue he he did have the game of his life too. But uh... Another guy who I think had the game of his life, at least to that point, and I think this was the game where he made himself a household name among more than just Big Ten and Buckeye fans, is Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, I, I said the stat line earlier, but twenty carries, two hundred thirty yards, two touchdowns, eighty-five yard long, uh, and that was a touchdown run uh, in the the last. Uh, it was eighty-five. Oh, sorry, it was yeah, 85, not uh, the last yeah, score game the game uh, in Ohio State ended up putting in a two-point conversion to Michael Thomas after this, but uh, this was uh, the Ezekiel Elliott coming out party, I think. This was the game where we found out as a nation that this Ezekiel Elliott guy, he's pretty good at football, and he just absolutely dominated. There's no other word for it. He was dominant. Yeah, and Ezekiel Elliott, especially that, that next game, the national championship, Championship against Oregon, he was just unstoppable for that Oregon defense. So he really it wasn't he's just been, a fluke. And yeah. obviously you could tell it wasn't a fluke. He's yeah, one of the best running backs him, in the NFL right now. But I mean that game, these two the two best I mean, running backs I'm, I'm in, the saying, in, in the NFL were in this game. He's proved himself that he's running backs in the NFL were in this game. But uh yeah, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, he really, you're right, this this was the game where he started to become a more well-known name. was on the national stage, obviously Sugar Bowl, first ever or second ever playoff game. Uh, And he did follow that game up well in the AT&T Stadium in Uh, Dallas. A place he would later have a couple other big moments, uh, as you very well know. Oh, for sure. Okay, so I think we've kind of hit on the broad strokes of the first half of the game and a couple points in the second half. But – uh, I want to go a little more in-depth on the second half of this game. And this is where Ohio State went from. The momentum is turning onto our side to let's slam on the gas pedal and show them who's boss uh, coming out of the half. Uh, they get the ball uh, right on the opening kickoff of the second half. And uh, Devin Smith uh, gets the touchdown to put the Buckeyes up 27-21. Uh, uh, to 21. And the Buckeyes do not forfeit that lead. Yeah, and it was at this point, uh, it was, I think it was the next scoring drive for Ohio State. They went mm-hmm. 28 points unanswered, which is just ridiculous. And that was really Alabama. Yeah, I don't think they the were ready. Next... I don't think we were expecting it. And uh, Ohio State really were like, all right, you're not ready for it. And they they just caught them when they were sleeping and just never let up once they got that lead. It just kept on going they they stuck the knife in in the second yeah and i the believe actually after, like, the, the very State next alabama second. possession after uh, devin smith gets the td uh it was steve miller defensive lineman picks off blake sims and takes it to the house the announcer called it the defensive lineman's dream uh you know to get the score of the touchdown uh not something that you get to see every day if you're on that side of the ball especially uh down in the trenches so it really is the dream for him especially on that stage it I hate, and I, I hate to be that guy, um, who's correcting this. It wasn't that drive, but it was okay. soon following after, and that was I've said this uh, multiple times before that that's arguably my favorite play in Ohio State history. Just seeing uh, Steve Miller get that pick, which I mean, it was it wasn't like really a turning point game, but it it added to the developing momentum that Ohio State had. And it was just huge. It, that was the moment where you really realized, okay, Ohio State, they're not messing around. They came here to win the ball It was the exclamation point. They're going to do it. So it absolutely was. And, you know, obviously there was still lots of game to play. There was the entire fourth quarter, and there was three minutes left in that third quarter. But that was a huge moment in the game, huge moment in Steve Miller's career. Um, and it's just awesome to see a defensive lineman just come Okay, up with, so another left note left. I have here uh, about the second half, The worst punt I've ever seen. Uh, Ohio State is a punt not too long after. I think the total net was about 20-ish yards, more or less. Uh, But they were backed up pretty far thanks to, uh, I believe, a great J.K. Scott punt uh, because Alabama was punting the hell out of the ball all day. But I forget the name of Ohio State's punter, but he, Cameron Johnston –
1: Cameron Johnston.
0: Uh, he kicked it Australian style, I believe the announcer said, which meant there was uh, a spin on the ball that meant it could bounce back to you. So it's a blessing and a curse. But it bounced back to roughly Ohio State's own twenty or twenty-four yard line. Thank you, twenty-four yard line. Uh, but then on that very same drive, Blake Sims threw a pick, so it didn't end up mattering in the grand scheme of things. Because of course it didn't. Blake yeah, Sims and you know it. you can. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just looking. At, I'm looking at that play right now, and I remember I wrote this in my notes last night. Ball is at the 23 yard line. Blake Sims. This is the first play from scrimmage since that pick or since that punt. And Von Bell intercepts the ball. I was talking about Von Bell earlier. First of all, it's just an amazing yeah. read on uh, on Von Bell's part to be able to get to, to get to that ball. And I think Alabama, you know, there was obviously a sense of urgency. You got to get into the end zone now. You got to get points on the board. Time's running out in the game. I think Alabama they wanted it too badly in that instance. They tried to get too much. Um, in too short of an amount of times, so they went straight to the end zone. Von Bell read it like a book, and Ohio State they never did anything with uh, that drive. I believe yeah. they ended up punting right afterward. But the fact that that Von Bell was able to keep Alabama from from getting on the scoreboard again, you know, obviously the game ended up being a one touchdown game at the end of it. Um, that's huge from a mo- momentum standpoint, and also just from a total points standpoint. Uh, that was really it wasn't a momentum shift because Ohio State really had the momentum at that point, but it was starting to slip away from them. They, they got that momentum back and it's just, that was a huge moment that um, yeah, often gets Even with miles. that mistake, that, that pick, Alabama's still only down six points here. So it's, it's not the end of the world. And it kind of, at least in my mind, it felt like Ohio State was controlling the game, uh, but it didn't feel like, Alabama was dead, and they very much were not dead. It was, what, 34-28? But then by the time of the next drive or two, I can't remember exactly when, uh, late in the fourth quarter, Ezekiel Elliott, 85 yards to the house. Michael Thomas takes the pass from Cardale for two. Buckeyes take a 42-28 lead over the Tide. Yeah, and... You know, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm watching this play right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually fast forwarding on YouTube right now, to get to the points we're talking about, which is why, you know, I know, oh, that punt went <laughs> yeah, the 23 yard uh, line, and kind of throwing a bunch of random money. statistics just happening in my exactly, own eyes, uh, but it was a bit as particular. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was at that moment that Urban Meyer uh, threw his headset um, across the sideline, and you know, that, that drew my mind to Urban Meyer. I remember seeing before this game. Nick Saban and Urban Meyer were combined for six and zero in national championships at this point. So obviously, this wasn't a national championship game. But these are guys who had both been there; they both Man, knew what stakes were the same because it was big the games, nice. uh, national. Oh yeah, and it was pretty clear. Um, yeah, I think that the winner of this game was going to win. The Not title clear, game. but it wasn't I pretty think pretty in clear, hindsight, but, it's clear. Um, it 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 made sense that the winner. Yeah, it definitely. In hindsight, it's clear. Hindsight, like you say, is twenty twenty, but. Um, you know both of these these coaches these are, are experienced. This was a chess match, um, and just props to Urban Meyer for being able to go in this game. And he's he's had his struggles with Nick Saban in the past, uh, so this was a huge win. Yeah, and I want to uh, talk about Urban, Urban Meyer a little bit later about do we think uh this team or maybe the team after or one of his Florida teams like what was the best team he coached? Uh, but, but maybe not now, but th- this was, I think, a great – I've talked about this a couple times. Uh, this is a great job by the Ohio State coaching staff. They really had a good game plan and credit to the players because they executed it flawlessly, uh, at least I would say for the second, third, and fourth quarters. In the first quarter, maybe not as much, but for the rest of the game, yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. If Ohio State had – had fired an all no. in the entire game. It would not have been a one touchdown game if they had finished off some of those opportunities. And you think about it, it was it was really on, on Ohio State's second. It uh, was their third drive because the second drive Ezekiel Elliott fumbled, but the second one where they got into the red zone, Ohio State had the ball at the two yard line and, and Carl Jones five or six snap. Yards, yeah. He he bobbled the snap and lost a few yards, and that ended up resulting in a field goal. I mean, if he doesn't bobble that snap, Ohio State maybe scores on that play. That's a different so game. That play because... in particular, it's crazy how. You know, people, people say things like, like it's, it really it's a game is. of inches, it's a game of it is. seconds, it's it's all these small things. That, that really proved it. It was, if that one thing went differently, you know, you're looking at an entirely different yeah. game from a momentum standpoint, from a, Ohio State's from got, board standpoint, got the lead, uh, all that, and especially Cardona's yeah, confidence. You, you, you make one conference. of those field goals into touchdowns, uh, and Ohio State's got the lead at halftime. And they had the lead yeah, even before true. that. It's a completely different game, and I think... And it's actually, that's actually interesting to see how, how that would have played out if Alabama, given the time, would have came back or if it would have just been an increased Ohio State lead that maybe turned into something of a blowout. But uh, that's kind of an interesting alternate universe to kind of – I think the more interesting alternate universe, into. as we keep getting in hypotheticals, uh, is if uh, Alabama converts with the ball in the 23 after the botched punt – uh, by Ohio State if they don't throw the interception there and if they can actually punch it in, uh, how does Ohio State respond? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting thing to think about. Because a whole position like that does not grow I mean, on trees. Like I said, Vaughn Bell. Yeah, and that's why that's also why that's part of the reasons why Ohio State was able to win the national championship is just they saw it was a moment where Alabama had the upper hand uh, at that point, and they responded well, and they knew it was coming. They knew they were going to go to the end zone in that play. It like I said, Von Bell, like I said, he read it, he read it like a book. And it was, just, it was just plays like that that really put this 2014 Ohio State team, set them apart from other Ohio State teams and other
1: teams yes, in general in the 2014 the season.
0: Okay, so sure. not too long ago before we got off on that tangent, I was talking about Ezekiel Elliott's 85-yard touchdown run and then Michael Thomas – catching a two-point conversion from Cardale to put Ohio State up 42-28, extend the lead, a lead that would not be surrounded by Alabama. So I want to talk about this run by Ohio State. And you mentioned Evan Spencer's massive block uh, that opened the hole. But I'm sitting down in my bed watching this game, uh, and I'm just yelling to myself, go Zeke, go, go, Zeke, go, go, Zeke, go. go!" And I'm not even an Ohio State fan. I'm just (laughs) going nuts watching him run. You know, sometimes when you're so far removed from sports as we are right now uh, during the pandemic, but seeing just the littlest thing, like a huge touchdown run uh, in the middle of a back-and-forth slugfest, it it wasn't really a back-and-forth game. It was was still, I think, a a matchup of two very good teams, and I guess a slugfest is maybe not the right word, but uh, a heavyweight battle, if you will, uh, between two. Uh, titans of college football, uh, seeing a huge run like that—you uh, know—a superstar going down the sideline uh, in the national semifinal—it felt good uh, to watch something like that and and to cheer uh, and and kind of enjoy sports again, even though it was a play I remember vividly and when I watched live five years ago. But you know, doing this, it still felt nice. Yeah, and you're absolutely right when it comes to. Us being removed from sports. I remember a couple nights ago, it was after our, our draft with Jack Calson. Uh, if you haven't listened to that mm-hmm. episode, it's, it's a really good one. Uh, you should go check it out. But I was having a discussion with my dad, which by the way, I'm going to call my dad out on this uh, later. Because um, we, ha- we were having an argument uh, about greatest Ohio State players and greatest Ohio State quarterbacks. And I will get into the details of that later. But I was just upset. I needed to watch some highlights of Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields. And I was just watching... Uh, I watched the clips from the 2018 game against Penn State. I watched clips from the just brutal ass-whooping that Ohio State put down on the Browns, an understatement. And you know, and I, I listened to a few Ohio State fight songs uh, recently and it just it just kind of makes you sad. It's like, man, where do these sports go? Like you just miss it so much and that's why these first and classics episodes are so good. You get to look back on these on these moments that you know, I mean, I've I've said this before. This game, it's hard to think about you know, like what day was the best day in your life because you know you live a lot of days. But I would call this 2015 Sugar Bowl definitely a top five day all time in my life. I like the amount of happiness you know that I had during this game, pretty unmatched. This is a, just such an incredible game. I'm glad that we were able to look back on it and that we're you know we still have some more to talk about. So I'm. I'm Read uh, thats that's some of the best stuff I've ever heard on this podcast. I've just gotta say, uh maybe we can clip that even uh, that's really good, but sports are a special thing. they just are uh, and not having them makes you miss it just as much and and getting a taste of it even if it's something old. It feels nice even even to me as as kind of a neutral observer of these teams i I was cheering for Ohio State, and I still would uh but you know, I'm not a fan. I am a relatively neutral guy uh, in this battle. It still felt. It still felt special. It did, I can say. And sports are, are something I miss and you miss and we all miss. Uh, so so looking back on something that was such a special day uh, to all Buckeye fans and especially to you, Reed, uh, it's nice. It just is. And speaking, speaking of games where you're neutral, one game that I recommend you watch, I watched uh, this game. If you go on YouTube, there's a lot of, you know, games in 30 minutes. You got to watch, if you haven't already, the Baylor versus TCU game from 2014. This is, if if there was one game that you would show to somebody from like Britain or Australia or something who was not an American football fan, if you want to say, this is what American football is about, it, w- it would have to be the Sugar Bowl or it would be the Baylor TCU game. I mean, that Baylor TCU game was just incredible. It's what I love about football. It's a Big 12 shootout, and you got to go yeah, check they it out and see that, it yourself. It was like, an incredible wow, game. This, especially. This, uh... American football sure is great. And then they get really into it and uh at some point they're watching twenty nineteen Michigan versus Iowa game and they're like, Oh no, where <laughs> did all where did this all go wrong? <laughs> Which what was that Michigan versus Iowa game? Wasn't that that was ten yeah. to three, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh. Ten three was the final score, you're correct. <laughs> oh, oh they watched that state. State. the state yeah. game. Yeah. That oh. was Brutal, the, uh, the red box bowl the michigan state Oregon. yeah you know oh yeah yeah and even the last and season's game, red box bowl is kind uh, of brutal football is a beautiful thing but but sometimes what it happened with the red box bowl thing. what happens at the red box bowl stays at the red box bowl oh <laughs> in there's not really the red box bowl is the perfect because nobody game goes to go to for social distancing and and really the same thing with any game in San Francisco, honestly, because nobody. I guess it's Santa Clara where Levi Stadium is. Other than that, nobody National Championship, lives in Santa Clara. No one it's really goes super there. Super hard to get to. It's very out of the way, and Bay Area traffic is terrible as is, uh, from my understanding. So, oh yeah, uh, maybe if the stadium were in the actual city of San Francisco, different story. But I digress. Yeah. Yeah, Lake yeah, it seems crazy expensive. Too. I I it's, don't know why it's the kind, 49ers kind of a tricky situation when it comes the to the stadium, stadium on top of the stadium. old Candlestick site site and and play or, or just or a Candlestick was candlestick. Like, that uh, place was cool. But maybe play uh, a season uh, sharing nah, the coliseum with Oakland which gross, but yeah, or maybe I don't, don't know there was nightmare. talk even this year of the Raiders playing in AT&T Park if Las Vegas wasn't ready for them. Uh that's the Giants Stadium. Yeah, cool. I don't know Wait, if that's the Giants Stadium park right? anymore, exactly. but that would be awesome. There was talk of that, and uh, whatever it is, yeah, that would be really. You no, know, cool maybe the see. forty. I think the 49ers could. I want yeah, to it's right though. on the on the water. It's very cool. I'd love to go there too. But uh, there was talk of the Raiders doing that, so maybe the 49ers could play there for a season while the stadium was being built on the old Candlestick site or whatever. I don't know, uh, or maybe they could have just built it in the park. Lie if they could find a little bit of room, kind of like the Colts did with the RCA Dome and Lucas Oil Stadium. But we've somehow gone on a tangent about stadium land in San Francisco, and I apologize to every single one of our listeners. It really does feel like we're back in the season talking about actual (laughs) games again because uh, we just went off on a super super unrelated tangent. Yeah, like that's what like old times. It's like all about though, honestly. Okay. That's what that's, that's what the people want to hear. So, Ezekiel Elliott's for right. <laughs> Back to the topic at hand. Reed, you wanted to talk about Evan Spencer's blocking on this play. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's not too much to say. I mean, he, he came up with, you know, the block of his life as a receiver. You know, as a receiver, you got to be able to block well. Uh, and he did that here. Um, I'm looking at the play right now, and I'm kind of – slowly break it down since I don't I can't show you the film it's kind of hard to but there was there was a hole in the offensive line did an amazing job blocking too but Spencer he 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 ran like a diagonal route into the linebacker and the cornerback he tried to get around the line uh the Ohio State lineman the Alabama cornerback he couldn't get to him he he just he just missed Zeke and also Zeke Speed who did a lot of the work here because uh the fact that he was you know he was seconds or not even seconds because a second is a long time when you're talking about uh this type of play just s- split milliseconds away from being tackled and, and just the speed and especially the afterburners that he put on uh you know when he got to 50 60 70 yards uh, on this run just incredible and that's you know Ezekiel he's a power back he'll run you over but don't forget that man has speed. No, Zeke Scott burner. You, you saw it Zeke, in the first Zeke quarter is a his, burner. with his touchdown run. He he's, just he's is. power back. He's he can quick. Run. Uh, but but Henry Henry's a tank. I would say uh, a tank who just so happens to be quick. But I think Zeke leans a little bit more on the quick guy who is also big. Uh, but yeah, so that oh, was yeah, an awesome sure. run. Probably the second biggest play of the game in my mind. The second play that comes to mind behind the. Uh, The Evan Spencer pass to Michael Thomas, but Ohio State converts the two-point conversion. It's a two-touchdown game uh, late in the fourth quarter. Alabama scores. Uh, They start to make a small comeback. Uh, They attempt the onside kick. Evan Spencer recovers it. Ohio State doesn't get anything out of it. They punt, and uh, Alabama has – okay. Pause right here. I just wanted to talk quickly about this two-point conversion because I just want to say I'm looking at this play you know Cardinal Jones rolls out he a tight finds, window very uh, tight window. Michael Thomas in a crowded end zone there's three yeah three Alabama defensive backs and one Ohio State uh, receiver uh, Corey Smith or one receiver who is Michael Thomas there's two receivers three defensive backs it's a tight window like you just said that's a play where they ran similar plays in the first quarter they didn't convert them they threw in completions uh, Colonel Jones you know he fumbles and snap gets sacked that kind of thing. So this is just – it's really just a, a sign of Confidence the shift and in Ohio State play in that game where they were able – And also that, that Michael sure, Thomas tech sure. guy is Yeah, they, they were able to get it done. He's decent. Yeah, he, he's, he's yeah. a pretty good player. Uh, I think as I think we know fans of the Superdome uh, know, know that. He's okay. Then and now. Then and now. Yeah, so Alabama stages a small comeback. Obviously, it's too little, too late. Ohio State wins the game, but they've got one last drive to to push down the field, Uh, and there were a couple couple heaves to the end zone that that were close. Uh, There was one in particular down the left side of the field, I remember, that, I mean, it wasn't close, but it was, you know, for a Hail Mary heave, it was pretty close, I would say, to being a true game changer, but the game ends with a Blake Sims interception, which is a pretty fitting way if you ask me when it comes to uh, how Alabama played during this game. And Ohio State walks off and uh, wins the game. And I actually, after I watched the game on YouTube, I looked up some videos of Ohio State fans in the Superdome celebrating afterwards. I saw the – I watched Buckeye Swag in Carmen Ohio in the stadium, and it was just pure joy. And that kind of leads back to how much we all love sports and how happy it all makes us. The, the look on the face of those people, it was just joy. It just was. It was pretty incredible. And especially from the standpoint of being an underdog, because Ohio State has been an underdog like twice since this game happened. And Ohio State plays pretty well as an underdog. I think they were like a one- or two-point underdog against Clemson last season, and obviously that didn't turn out well. Um, but it's hard to even call either team an underdog in that game. But Ohio State they play well as an underdog, and it's 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 really cool when you see an underdog team win. It's it's especially mm-hmm. cool when that underdog That's is. That's what your sports team. are all about. So, yeah, the joy that that brought Buckeye fans everywhere. Whether you were in New Orleans or you know me, I was in Myrtle Beach, Ohio South Carolina, to South Carolina, and you know connection. we were talking really about that weird Ohio State <laughs> that Ohio South Carolina bond. Yeah, we had an Ohio State sort of washing party with my family and. In South Carolina, no matter where you were, that that game was just extremely special. And I know every Buckeye fan who, um, you know, every true Buckeye fan looks back on this game and remembers it with. They remember where they were. They remember what they were doing. They remember, you know, everything about this game because it was just such a special point in the, I remember the lives of an Ohio even, State football fan. I'm not an even Ohio State fan. It's definitely when a milestone. It was just that good of a game and you know, that was, crazy of a moment. It really solidified the college football playoff. That's just like the uh, – I imagine, Patrick, I imagine the way you feel about this game is how I feel about the Georgia yeah, versus Oklahoma. I, I would game say so too. I, I remember, feel similarly about that game. Um, I, I've – yeah, and, you know, now my brother is going to go to Georgia Tech, so I kind of have to be anti-Georgia. But at that point, Georgia I felt pretty neutral on, and I sort of disliked Oklahoma. But that game was just special to watch. And Georgia was the team I was rooting for mainly because I picked them. And uh, I ended up actually winning Congrats. a lot of money as a result of that game. But that game was just special to watch from just a guy who loves the game of football uh, for what it is and not just for the teams involved. So that was yeah. – I imagine that's exactly how you would feel as an Indiana fan. Griffin, you as a, a fan mi- of a mixed, whoever you were into at that point. Michigan mixed, Rutgers. Teams, you know, watching this game. Whoever. Yeah, but right at Florida college, State. I think at that point, I was either a Michigan or Penn State fan. One of those two. Jets mainly, I'm guessing. Interesting. So both um, teams do hate Ohio State. So, Griffin, I'm just honestly, curious, how did you feel neutral when this game was going down? On what hand, side were you I on? I hated Ohio State as I should with the, liking those two teams. But on the other hand, I recognized more players from the Ohio State team. So I was kind of neutral. Yes, yes. Yeah, pretty much, honestly. Was I, it also like, everybody I was, was a team team the team of Alabama, was Alabama at that point? One of the most commonly hated teams. Yeah, and it's the we, same thing. We, with... we all were in our, our sick of Alabama. Yeah. The playoff this year was very refreshing because of that, I'll say. Yeah, and I mean – yeah. yeah, it's awesome to see when Alabama doesn't make the playoff. Because, yeah, it's crazy that it it's only happened once It's so like Duger, Kentucky, missing season. the NCAA tournament. So yeah, it's, Or the it's Patriots awesome missing miss the playoffs. Like, it almost never happens. But when it does, we need to cherish it. 2009. In, I, I think was it was 08 when Brady, Brady tore his ACL. And uh, what's his name was the quarterback. Wow. Uh, I'm slipping it right now. Matt Castle. They still went 11-5, and five, though. They still won 11-5. and That's crazy to think about. And it's very possible that they missed the playoffs this season, which is kind of weird to picture. Yeah, so cherishing those moments of uh, the teams that we're all sick of missing the playoffs. Yeah, but – Okay, a couple end notes and questions uh, just to wrap it up. That's the game right there, but uh, let's just kind of summarize it. Uh, So play the game. I'm going with Spencer to Thomas. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys differ on that. That's got to be play the game for me. I mean, there's there's a lot of really good plays. Yeah, it's just the kind of moment we all kind of think of when we think of this game. Uh, but our MVP, I'm going to Ezekiel Elliott, 230 yards. You can't really top that. Yeah, Zeke's got to get it, but I mean it's It's hard. Like he's giving he's getting. <laughs> I want uh, to Evan Spencer. He's like, getting like, my you know, Zeke, my blue guy. Better. He's my cheerio man of the game, Evan Spencer. That's yeah, not he's even close. Oh, he's absolutely cheery man of yeah, the game. He's no, cheery man Spencer of game. man prompt. of the game. And Cardell Jones deserves some props too. Like we said, he passed well. Um, but especially just you know, the mental fortitude of Cardell Jones in that game. It's hard to go into a playoff game. You're only your only experience, you know, granted he had confidence going in because that Wisconsin game. It's hard to have your first or your second start in your entire career since high school be against the Alabama Crimson Tide. So you know, props to him. He was able to get it done, and he, he did it running and passing, so Okay, uh, the Alabama MVP, I'm going with uh J.K. Scott. Second place Derrick Henry. Uh, you yeah. know it's weird to go into a punter, but he absolutely was just uh, hitting He was the one guy who fired an all cylinders that game, because Amari Cooper was kind of quiet, and part of that's just because, you know, Ohio State's secondary not locked him down well, but uh you know, not a lot of not a lot of guys you can look at on the Alabama team and be like, oh yeah, he Derek I would say Derrick Henry did, did. Like, that. Derrick that Henry game, didn't get to touch the ball enough, and that was one of my big problems with saving yeah. that game. No, so, he, then, yeah, he, he didn't, enough, didn't get the ball enough. That's one of my problems with saving that game. But JK Scott, he he was kicking he was kicking well. And Reed, there's a word that we like to use. We learned from Pat McAfee. Uh on, I watched on a highlight of Brandon Mann I sent you guys when the Jets drafted him, uh the former Texas AM punter, current Jets punter. Reed, can you explain the term? <laughs> the term is pismus. <laughs> this was coined by uh, probably the the coolest Colts legend, Hunter ever, Pat McAfee. He said this, uh, yeah, and it was he was it was a clip from Twitter talking about the Texas A&M Clemson game a few years ago, and uh, yeah, J.K. Scott had a lot of these. Most memorably, I forget when the game it was. I know it was in the first half when. Uh, he punted the ball. Like I said, he was, they were, they were pinned. Uh, he was punting the ball from inside the Alabama 10 yard line. And he got it all the way down into the Ohio state 10. And on the first punt of the game, you could tell Jalen Marshall was not ready for it. He had to back up 10, 15 yards to field that ball. He fielded a couple, he filled a couple punts uh, that were bouncing. You know, he, 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 fielded them from bounces just because he wasn't anticipating mm-hmm. the, the leg strength that JK Scott had. So. Uh, yeah, it's weird to give MVP to a punter, like we said, but you kind of have to when it comes to Alabama because he was the one guy. Yeah, who and uh, really whatever the opposite of the MVP is, I'm giving it to Blake Sims. LVP, Blake Sims. Yeah, Sorry. LVP. He was good the rest of the season, or at least serviceable, yeah. but yeah, this game kind of exposed him, I would say. Okay, uh, a couple other questions. Uh, the 2014-15 team won the national championship, but a lot of Ohio state fans and other fans, myself included would argue that the 2015, 16 team was better, but just less lucky and the ball didn't quite bounce their way enough. Reed, I know you share this opinion care to explain. So, you know, here's, here's my take on it. The 2015 Ohio state team who lost to Michigan state by three points at home and ran the table the rest of the season and beat Notre Dame in a blowout in the fiesta bowl. That is the best Ohio state team I've ever seen. And I would call them the best Ohio state team ever in terms of the talent on the roster. You know, they had Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. I don't think he was on the roster at the time. He might've been a freshman. Um, he might've been. Uh, they had Michael Thomas, Cardell Jones, Braxton Miller, JT Barrett, um, that entire crazy QB room, lots of offensive line talent, uh, Curtis, Curtis Samuel, Samuel was on, on that this team. He only touched the ball once all game, just, though. You know, no, not. Yeah, Curtis Samuel. He wasn't yeah, he, he Curtis wasn't, Samuel. Yet. He wasn't the Curtis Samuel though. W- yeah, you could say. That. And this defense was filled with. It just felt uh, like a really good defensive backs too. Von Bell at safety. Eli it was Apple a more refined version of the national championship um, team, and, and a more improved version. I think it was most of the same guys, but they just got yeah. better and. They didn't get. They didn't get as lucky against Michigan State. Yeah, the only guys that really Didn't lost get as lucky against Michigan State, in my mind, uh, and Evan Spencer. In that game, first of all, that was just terrible, terrible coaching for River Meyer. Ezekiel Elliott did not get the ball nearly as much as he needed to. But the fact that they lost by three points to a playoff team is just so. And tr- that kept them out of the playoffs it was just tragic. Like, I'm not going to say they deserved a playoff spot because you know they didn't. They didn't win the conference. They didn't go to the conference championship game. They didn't blow anybody out. Like, they didn't have a ridiculous blowout game like they needed to get the playoff. But they got to be in, be in the Big Ten one. But I'll say, these 2014 Ohio they State team probably won the championship in my mind. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, this 2014 team who won the title against Oregon and won the Sugar Bowl against Alabama, that's the best Ohio State team I've seen just from a standpoint of having a talented roster, just putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. They had, like I said, they overcame a lot, and I was talking about the mental fortitude of this team. They went to three quarterbacks. They went through adversity, close games, losing to Virginia Tech, overcoming that, struggling to make the first playoff ever. Coaching was good. Urban Meyer had one of his, his best games uh, in his coaching career against Alabama. They they went up against Oregon in National Championship game and just stomped all over them. Um, so this Ohio State team... You know, I even when I was listing players, I even I left out Ezekiel Elliott somehow because he was the best player in this team in my eyes. But, um, you know, this twenty fourteen Ohio State team—it's they, yeah. they put everything together, the best, and they were they they. A lot of times, Ohio State is kind of known for having that that game where they mess up or they kind of fold. Ohio State—they folded mm-hmm. early in the season, but they just never let up since then. Ever since having Tech loss, they were just they never let up. They never folded. They never gave in when it was when it was easy to give in. So this is that's what really sets its Ohio State team apart. So, twenty fifteen is the most talented roster I've ever seen, um, and I think in a close second with the two thousand nineteen team and the two thousand two team who beat the crazy star-studded Miami team in the national championship. But this two thousand fourteen team, uh, they put it all together yeah. like no team I've ever seen before. Or I guess they it's very similar to LSU. I would say this is the second best team in the playoff era, with all yeah, and uh, and you talk about so, putting it. That's my it's hard take about putting it all together. It's hard to I think a lot of that comes down teams. to coaching. And I was going to ask the question, do we think this is the best team urban urban Meyer ever coached? I think that's a solid. No, I think a lot of those Tebow era Florida teams were better, but I think this is the best coaching performance of his career this season because uh, there was a lot of adversity. They were playing a third string quarterback in the college football playoffs. Uh, they lost to an unranked team in the regular season. Their superstar Heisman caliber quarterback. Hurt his shoulder. This team overcame a lot, and they won the championship uh, when nobody thought they could. Uh, at some point in that season, and by the end, they really did put it all together, and they were champions. So I think this is the best coaching performance of Urban and Meyer's me t- legendary let me, let me, let me, career. And and let me say, you know, when it comes to this team, the reason I would call this Urban Meyer's best team. Is because he took
1: a we team that call this, that better. this, call this team team a better
0: team couldn't than, uh, do what they did with some of the Jesus. Tebow teams at Florida. I don't know. I, I'm saying that and here's why. Because it's see, it's, let me hear me out for a second. You know, so he not just anybody could do this with this Ohio State team, and it's, it's especially just the fact that how many superstars who went on to have amazing careers in the NFL did this team have? They had Ezekiel Elliott. He was a huge part of the team. Michael Thomas, he was great. Joey Bosa, he was great. Uh, and they had Curtis like he was having a good NFL career. But especially, you know, this wasn't Ezekiel Elliott's final year. This was not, uh, or this was Joey Bosa's final year. So Joey Bosa was a huge uh, star on his team. And this wasn't Michael Thomas's final year. These are guys, you know, you, you were talking about experience. You have a third string quarterback who started one game previously in his entire career at this game. They took an, a team of Ohio State guys. These are talented players. Who don't have experience and uh, they were able to take them to the next level, win a national championship. This is a legendary college football team. This is a team who will go down in the history books of college football as one of the best, just because of what they did, what they went up against and also just the individual players do everything on this team. is just incredible. So that's, I would say the credit of the Tebow era teams, just because it, it, it was a as is a perfect synthesis of players, coaches, intangibles, the crowd, everything, and especially like I said, it's the mental fortitude, it's the mental strength that this Ohio State yeah, team had you don't to have. What I don't agree or disagree. I think we can all come to the conclusion that uh, this is an iconic team, this is a historic team, and they truly deserve to be the first and ten classics. Anything else from you guys before we go? That's all I got. Alright, this was a great episode, guys. Hope you enjoyed it uh follow us on instagram at the first and 10 spell it all out at first and 1g on twitter if you want any team or any game you want covered on first and 10 classics or if you want to join us maybe uh hit us up uh and we'd love to to talk to you about it so uh hopefully we can get a couple other first and 10 classics soon uh probably going to do one about the 07 fighting Illini at some point so i uh, expect that in the near future and welcome to the first and 10 podcast hot take that's a scorching take i'm not afraid to be bold though Thriving, surviving and watching rutgers football there's nothing to respect about rutgers you know what it's pain but we look good while we do it man